With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Here on Stolen Lives, we discuss brutal and heartbreaking cases against children. Themes may include child murder, torture, and sexual, domestic, and child abuse. I do try my best to remain respectful for the babies in these stories and leave out unnecessary details that honestly none of us need to know to understand the frustration of why and how this ever happened. However, if you find any of these themes triggering, this podcast may not be for you. Listener discretion is advised. August 2012. Tia Sharp's mother and grandparents attend Croydon Police Station in a panic. The confident and independent 12-year-old had caught the tram into town earlier that day to go shopping but never returned. The police unfortunately could not find any trace of Tia. She was not on any CCTV footage that day and no one reported seeing her. With no evidence of Tia's whereabouts police turned their attention to the one person Tia trusted the most. Her loved ones could never be prepared for what would be revealed was Tia's last moments alive. This is Tia's story. Tia was a sparky girl who was full of life, but you took that life from her. All that lay ahead of her, a career, loves and family of her own, will now never be. Tia Sharp was born June 30th, 2000. To teenage parents, Natalie Sharp and Stephen Carter in Croydon, South London. There isn't much reference to Stephen in most contemporary news articles, but it seemed that Natalie was coping fine because her own mother, Christine Bicknell, was there to be a pseudo-father to Tia. Christine had Natalie young too, so she knew exactly what Natalie was going through. And Tia. She was the centre of their worlds. She meant everything to them. Quote, she was tiny. Holding her was like a Christmas present. Do you know when you get what you actually asked Father Christmas for? Unquote. And as Tia grew, the three became more like best friends and family. They were there for everything for each other, and it seemed like no one could break their unbreakable bond. Tia seemed like a great kid, and her childhood was fairly stable. By the time she was 12 years old, Tia was happy and confident. She was someone who had very strong opinions and she wasn't afraid to make her feelings known. I've seen Tia described as a firecracker, and Natalie should be congratulated for that. She raised this self-assured and balanced child who was comfortable with her place in the world. Being a parent myself, and I didn't have kids until my mid-twenties, and it was hard enough then, let alone being a teenager and still trying to figure everything out yourself. But Natalie did that. She raised this awesome kid. Tia was in secondary school, the seventh grade, and she was doing really well. She was popular with her peers and the teachers really liked her. They spoke highly of her. She was a smart kid, but her grades were seriously affected by her attendance and this was a point of concern for the school and social services. Social services involvement began in 2008. Initially, this was because of eight-year-old Tia not attending school. 
but it would evolve into concerns about cannabis use in the home and Tia being exposed to that. But not only Tia. By this stage, Tia had two younger brothers who were also around this drug use. There would be three drug raids of the family home, two of which Tia was home for. A social services report would describe the family as being dysfunctional and that there was a, quote, inappropriate tolerance, unquote, of cannabis use in the household. Despite all of this, though, and obviously illegal drug use around children is never good. It's never acceptable. However, there is no evidence of abuse nor neglect towards Tia and her brothers. At the time all of this was happening, Tia's grandmother, Christine Bicknell, had moved her new boyfriend into her home, Stuart Hazel, a man that would change the family's lives forever. Two thousand and two, Christine Bicknell met Stuart Hazel when she was working as a barmaid in a pub in Rains Park, Southwest London. Christine already knew of Hazel, even though he was ten years her junior. He had a brief fling with her daughter Natalie. Hazel had a rough childhood. His mother was a prostitute, and his dad was in prison. He grew up in a group home. He would later claim he was raped there when he was sixteen. It seems his life was filled with violent sexual acts. As an adult, Hazel became depressed. He would self-harm and had suicide attempts. He started abusing alcohol and drugs. And when I say abuse, he was a heavy abuser, dangerously so. But not only that, Hazel would often get in trouble with the law. At the time he started seeing Christine, he had been convicted for a racially aggravated common assault. When the couple became official in 2007, Hazel moved into Christine's home. By this point, Hazel would have 30 previous criminal convictions and had been in prison three times. For drug offences mostly, such as possession and dealing cocaine, but also for burglary and theft. And despite this situation being a little weird, what with Hazel previously being involved with Natalie and being so much younger than Christine, it didn't take long before Hazel became a loved and important part of the family. Tia especially took to Hazel, the two forming a quick bond. You see, Hazel was in Tia's life since she was two years old, and without a stable father figure, that quickly became Hazel. Tia even calling him Grandad. Quote, He was good with kids. He was good around the house. I don't know. At some point, he was everything she needed. Unquote. As Tia grew into being a preteen and sharing a home with two little boys, she obviously desired her own space which wasn't always possible in her mother's small three-bedroom home. So Tia regularly spent weekends at her grandmother Christine's home, where they had two bedrooms and the house was significantly larger. Tia even staying there when Christine was at work, leaving Tia to spend most of her free weekend time gaming and going on outings with her grandmother's boyfriend, Stuart Hazel. June 2012. As part of Tia's 12th birthday celebrations, her mother Natalie and grandmother Christine told her she could invite one friend along for a day out in Chestington. Instead of inviting a school friend along, Tia did not hesitate but choose Hazel. As I said, Tia adored Hazel. He was her favourite person. They were best friends. August 2nd, 2012. Tia wanted to spend the weekend at her grandmother's home in New Addington. This was a normal arrangement. When asked, Hazel told Natalie that Christine was on the night shift that weekend, but he would be more than happy to watch over Tia. 
Again, this wasn't unusual, and Tia had spent the weekend there before with just Hazel present. Tia was still excited to go. She knew this would mean late nights, snack food and gaming. Natalie loved seeing her daughter happy and gave her permission. A decision Natalie would later say she's regretted ever since. Tia was so confident and independent, so much so on that day. Tia insisted her mother not drive her the short trip from their home in Croydon to New Addington. She insisted Natalie drop her off at the tram, with the plan Hazel would be waiting for her at the platform at the end of the journey. And this is exactly what happened. CCTV footage was later uncovered capturing the last images of Tia alive. Hazel and Tia are shopping at a nearby convenience store, stocking up on snack food for the evening. That night, Christine called to check in on the pair, and everything seemed as it normally would. Hazel told Christine the pair were playing the PlayStation. Christine would later tell police she could hear Tia laughing in the background. August 3rd, 2012. Christine arrived home that morning to find Hazel lying on the couch watching television, and Tia nowhere to be found. When Christine asked where Tia was, Hazel told her that Tia left early to go back to Croydon to buy some flip-flops, and then was going back to her mother's. And this wasn't something Christine would question, because Tia was so independent, and she knew her way around town and the public transport system. This all changed around six that evening. What was unusual was that Tia hadn't called Christine to let her know she had gotten home safely. So Christine called her home just to make sure. This was the first Natalie had heard any of this. She thought her daughter was still with Christine and Hazel. Natalie tried to contact Tia via phone and through Facebook Messenger, but there was no reply. It would be around this time that Tia's phone would be found left behind in her room at Christine's house. Now, anyone who knows or has a 12-year-old preteen knows this is very unusual. At that stage, Christine and Natalie simply thought, or perhaps hoped, that maybe Tia had just missed her tram. Natalie began searching from Croydon, while Christine and Hazel retraced Tia's steps from New Addington towards Croydon. But when there was no sign of Tia by 10pm, the three adults went into the Croydon police station to report Tia missing. Natalie will later blame herself for what happens for not calling the police earlier, but as we will learn by then, it was already too late to save little Tia. She was already dead. Stuart Hazel went with the women to the Croydon police station. He would tell police he last saw Tia at around midday before she left to meet a friend to go shopping in Croydon. I think police were suspicious of Hazel's convenient story right from the get-go, especially since there was no evidence Tia had gotten on the tram or was around Croydon shopping district at all that day. Tia didn't appear on any of the 800 hours of CCTV footage police viewed in the area, the bus route or town. But then their neighbour, Paul Meehem, supported Hazel's story, saying he saw Tia leave the home that morning, waving goodbye to her as she passed. As part of the missing person investigation, police searched the last known location for Tia, her grandparents' house, to see if they could find any clues as to where she was going. But besides her phone, which also didn't provide police with any clues, nothing of interest was found. It was like Tia had vanished into thin air. One factor that was very instrumental in the search for Tia was the amount of media attention her disappearance received. As we know, some missing children's cases get more attention than others, 
and thankfully in Tia's case, the media attention was significant. Reporters and camera crew set up camp in front of Christine's house around the clock, waiting for updates. And newspapers and news stations nationally headlined their coverage with Tia's story. The Sun newspaper even offering a £25,000 reward for the safe return of Tia Sharp. Not only that, but the community really pulled together to help find Tia. Along with the 80 police officers assigned to the case, volunteer search parties went out every night without foul looking for Tia. And Christine, Natalie and Hazel would always be present to thank the media and volunteers for keeping Tia's name out there. Hazel even had a t-shirt made with Tia's photo on it. He would be the spokesperson for the family. During one particular interview that you can still find on YouTube, you see Hazel looking directly into the camera and saying, quote, Tia, come home, babe, unquote, before breaking down in tears. And police did receive tips. Besides exhaustingly watching all those hundreds of hours of CCTV footage, they also followed up on 55 different sightings that came into the Crime Stoppers hotline. But despite all these efforts, there was just no sign of Tia anywhere. And even though it was still only early days of the investigation, it seemed destined the case was going to go cold. Because police were at a loss what to do next, they returned to Christine's house again to complete another search, this time taking search dogs with them just in case they missed something. Police had started to again question Hazel's story. It literally did not make any sense based on the CCTV evidence that they had. And the police started to put pressure on too, and they requested Hazel to come in a number of times for questioning. It was always voluntary, so he could have refused at any time, but he didn't, and he would repeat the same story over and over again. But this led to Hazel feeling unfairly targeted, and that the police were wasting their time on him, when they should have been focusing on the search for Tia. August 9th, 2012, Hazel agreed to a sit-down interview in his home with news station ITV. In this interview, he is seen consoling Christine and proclaiming his innocence. Christine would also sing his praises, saying how much of a rock he'd been for her and Natalie throughout the entire ordeal. Quote, When I collapsed, he held me. He was there constantly, everywhere I went. Unquote. What I find heartbreakingly horrid is that Christine had no way of knowing her beloved granddaughter's decomposing body was only 12 feet away from her, murdered at the hands of the person they all trusted with their lives. I was at the Hoover and I was doing Hoover in there, but I started off sweeping up in there, but where we have a rug, I can't sweep the rug, so I had to Hoover the rug because it's got it's like really fluffy. So I've Hoovered the rug off, I've Hoovered all the way out to the front door, literally the kitchen, the hallway, I've got out there, I've uh, come back with another cigarette, uh, this time too, I've gone upstairs, I've got the washing, sorry, after I've done the whole way there, I've gone upstairs, done the washing, make sure there's no washing upstairs, made the bed, opened the curtains, uh, come back downstairs, uh, by then Tia's going upstairs to get changed, uh, she was still mumbling away, uh, I can't remember what she was bloody on about, to be honest with her, excuse my language. Um, then just finished off all that, then I come back in here, finished off my hoovering in the front room in the hallway, got to there. When I got the dog's bed, I emptied the dog's beds out. But what this interview did do was to make the police even more suspicious. He recounted the events of the day almost in too much detail. Like talking about sweeping the rug, but then he couldn't because it was too fluffy, so he had to vacuum it instead. These details aren't needed. 
and it sounds almost like someone who had been so rehearsed in their story that they can't leave any part of it out, otherwise their whole story falls apart. I think he was trying to convince everyone he was innocent, but in actuality, he was appearing more guilty. Like, who cares about your house cleaning methods? How does this relate to this girl who has been missing more than a week at this point? With this podcast, I've listened to so many interviews by guilty parents, but this one takes the cake. So, as I said, the police were suspicious of this interview, and they thought Hazel was lying about something. They just couldn't be sure what that was. The following day, they planned a fourth search of Christine's home. But this time, Christine and Hazel were informed that they were not to be home during this search. August 10th, 2012. Hazel woke early and left to fetch the morning newspaper. Christine waking not long after to a putrid smell in the home that she initially thought was due to her cats. Quote, I got up and the smell was really intense. I was looking and I just couldn't find it. I was pulling everything out, but I couldn't find the smell. And then, that's when the police turned up. That's when they said to me, you need to leave the house now. Unquote. While Christine couldn't find where the smell was coming from or what it was, police knew exactly what they were smelling. The forensic team were called in for assistance. The smell led police to the loft of the home, and this is where they found a large black bin bag. Inside, wrapped in a black bedsheet, was a dismembered body of 12-year-old Tia Sharp. Tia's clothes and broken glasses were found in small black bags close by. Now, unfortunately, this particular summer in the United Kingdom was warm. It could almost be considered hot, but this accelerated decomposition. And it would come down to dental records to confirm the body did belong to Tia. This was a smell in Christina's house. Christine was literally smelling her granddaughter decomposing. I don't know how you ever come to terms with this, but because of the accelerated level of decomposition, this means it now will never be possible to determine Tia's cause of death. However, it is suspected that Tia was suffocated. The news Tia was found destroyed Natalie and Christine. Natalie would later talk of seeing her daughter's body being removed from the house on the news. Quote, They wheeled her out, and it didn't even look like a body. It wasn't big enough for her. They shouldn't have removed her, not with all them strangers and all them cameras, and I should have been there with her. Unquote. Further insult to injury for Natalie was she was not permitted to see Tia's body due to just how badly she was decomposed. What was concerning was where was Stuart Hazel? Where was this grieving, heartbroken grandfather? He was nowhere to be found. The last anyone knew, he left early that morning to buy a newspaper, but he never came home. And this made him a serious person of interest. Police believed he ran once he knew they were closing in after his questionable ITV interview the night prior. And that morning, he would have smelt that intense smell of Tia's decomposing body and he ran, knowing the police were about to find her. A manhunt investigation began to try and find Stuart Hazel, and it wouldn't be long before they found him. Hazel was caught on CCTV that morning, in a shop on Cannon Hill Lane, South London, where he bought some vodka. An 11-year-old girl in the shop recognised him from the TV interview the night before. And when the little girl did the sweetest thing and said to him, I hope you find Tia soon, Hazel completely broke down and started crying, telling the little girl he had done something horrible. After this, this little girl's stepfather would be the one to contact police. 
That same evening at 8.25pm, Stuart Hazel was arrested for the murder of Tia Sharp. Christine Bicknell was also arrested as police believed she was also involved. Not only that, but neighbour, Paul Meehan, was also arrested on suspicion of assisting an offender. This was the same neighbour who reported seeing Tia that day she disappeared, and we now know there was no way this was possible. Thankfully, it was soon clear Christine was innocent and she was released without charge. Paul Meehan was eventually convicted with wasting police's time and sentenced to five months in prison. The questioning of Hazel started immediately. So what can you tell me about the murder of Tia Sharp, Stuart? Well, cut a minute, you must listen, please. Hazel tried to explain away how Tia died. His account evolved into one where they'd been playing the PlayStation together. At some point, Tia had fallen down the stairs and hit her head. But she got straight back up and seemed fine. Tia told him herself that she was fine and didn't need to go to the hospital or anything, so they continued on with their evening. That Hazel was smoking marijuana that night and drinking heavily and he passed out, but when he woke up he found Tia dead on the floor. He said he felt so guilty that he hadn't done more for Tia after she had fallen over, and he knew he couldn't face Christine and tell her her only granddaughter had died under his supervision. Hazel takes Tia's body up to the bathtub and sorts her body into smaller, manageable pieces. He wraps Tia in a black bedsheet, and then places these pieces into a black garbage bag. Hazel placed Tia's dismembered remains in between the rafters, where the loft meets the roof. He wraps Tia's clothes and broken glasses into smaller black bags and places them next to her, then covering everything with general debris to hide what he had done. Now, bizarrely, This loft was searched by police during the previous three searches, but for whatever reason, the Metropolitan Police will blame human error and inexperienced police officers, but Tia wasn't found. This was a huge oversight by police, and honestly, it did affect the case going forward. Had she been found sooner, I mean it wouldn't have saved her life, but she wouldn't have been so decomposed, and we may have more answers as to what happened to her. Maybe Hazel would have received a longer and harsher sentence because his motive behind the murder would have been clearer. But I am getting ahead of myself here. Again, police did question Hazel's version of events. His extreme response to finding Tia deceased seemed unbelievable. And since the investigation had changed from looking for Tia to looking for evidence of her death, police decided another search of Christine's home was needed. In this search police would find two memory cards hidden in a doorframe. Now, obviously, this is very suspicious. Why hide something like that unless you had something to hide? And on one particular memory card, a number of shots had been deleted. Now, as any savvy true crime fan knows, nothing is ever really deleted. The forensic team was able to recover the images, and nothing could prepare investigators for what they would find. Most of the images was of Tia sleeping. Hazel's shadow can be seen in the photos leaning over her body. Photos of Tia sitting in the lounge room moisturising her legs, oblivious to the inappropriate photos being taken. Other recovered images were of Hazel himself. He is posing for the camera, mimicking the sleeping positions of Tia. In others, he is performing and gyrating, inserting objects into his anus. But it would be the last photo on the memory card that would be the most horrific. 
And please skip forward to the next 30 seconds if you are sensitive to graphic details of child abuse. The last photo on the memory card was an extremely disturbing image of a deceased Tia. The image depicted a naked child on all fours, with a photograph being taken from behind. The reason for this was believed to extend Hazel's sexual gratification, said forensic psychologist Kerry Nixon later at trial, quote, I expect he would have kept that as a trophy. He would have continued to get sexual pleasure from that. This was his way of prolonging the enjoyment. Unquote. We don't know anything really of what happened to Tia in her final moments, but what we do know for certain, she was most definitely sexually abused before her death. A vibrator was found in the home with blood on it, and when this blood was forensically analysed, it was determined the blood came from Tia. The police also examined Hazel's search history on his computer, and what came up was shocking. Hazel had been caught up in the world of violent child pornography, in particular daddy and daughter incest pictures. His search terms included schoolgirl rape, incest rape and glasses, and what we know is Tia wore glasses. It seemed due to Hazel's twisted view of reality, he was convinced that he was in love with Tia and she was in love with him and it was obvious to police that this was no accident. The motive for Tia's murder has never been established. Could it have been that Tia woke up while Hazel was taking her photo, and then threatened to tell her grandmother or mother, putting at risk his relationship, his housing, his access to Tia, basically everything? Or could Hazel, already caught up in this horrific world of child pornography, made sexual advances on Tia and she fought back? Regardless of the reason, instead of feeling embarrassed or guilty, he took everything to the next level. He was angry and sadistic, and stoned and drunk, and he wanted Tia, and however it happened, she was denying him of what he wanted. She would have to suffer. And because the police didn't find Tia for a week and the heat, it is not known at what point he kills Tia and how, and what this beautiful, innocent child went through before he killed her. That, as a parent, that is what would haunt me forever. Did my child suffer unimaginable physical, emotional and sexual abuse? Maybe it's not a bad thing Natalie and Christine don't know this information. They would be suffering so much already. As Natalie said, quote, I hate him. To rotten hell, right where I am. Every breath I take is a breath of hell. There ain't no release. There's no relent. There's nothing. Unquote. Regardless of all of this, Stephen Hazel pled not guilty for the murder of his granddaughter, Tia Sharp. And on March 7, 2013, the murder trial commenced at the Old Bailey in London. Contemporary news articles at the time would constantly mention how emotionless Hazel was during the trial. For the first four days, the prosecution brought before the court witness after witness, outlining all the forensic and graphic evidence to the judge, jury and Tia's family and friends who were in attendance throughout the trial. It would only be the evening before day five when Hazel was due to take the stand himself to give his account of what happened and then be cross-examined by the prosecution. It would only be then the defence would announce Hazel had changed his plea to guilty. This allowed him to avoid giving testimony in court, the ultimate coward's act. His own defence team would describe Hazel as, quote, a man who has an extraordinary capability of living through lies. Unquote. 
There were gasps from the public gallery. Tia's family was sobbing loudly. And as Hazel was sent down, there was the cry of beast from a man in the public gallery. Now, the judge said that he could have imposed a whole life tariff on Stuart Hazel. But to do that, he would have had to be absolutely sure that the murder itself was sexually motivated. He had no doubt, he said, that Hazel had sexually assaulted Tia Sharp, but he had to be sure that the murder itself was sexually motivated and he was not sure. Now, in his sentencing remarks, he said to Hazel that Tia was a sparky girl who was full of life, but you took that life from her. All that lay ahead of her, a career, loves and family of her own, will now never be. Now, after the sentence was handed down, uh, Tia's mother, Natalie Sharp, left the court this morning. She was asked whether she believed that the sentence, whether she was happy with the sentence, to which she replied no. And an uncle of Tia also said that this sentence should have been longer. And even though Hazel changed his plea to guilty, he did not reveal what happened the night he murdered Tia, or why it happened. Something that I know would give her family some closure. Maybe that's why he didn't. Maybe he wanted that last bit of control over the family who adored him. But because the motive couldn't be established, Hazel was sentenced to life imprisonment with eligibility for parole after 38 years. This would mean Hazel would be 75 years old before he can even think about applying for parole. Although I highly doubt parole would even be an option if the parole board has any sanity. Hazel managed to avoid a whole life never to be released sentence because it wasn't definite the murder was sexually motivated. Shame and fear of what might have happened if Tia talked is just another possible motive considered by the judge in sentencing. In sentencing, Mr Justice Nicholls stated Hazel had betrayed the trust of Tia's family in the quote, most grievous way possible, unquote, and described Tia as a quote, sparky girl who was full of life. You took that life from her or that lay ahead of her, a career, loves, and a family of her own, this will now never be, unquote. There was an audible gasp in the public gallery when the sentence was read. Tia's family were sobbing. Tia's father, Stephen, did attend the trial and spoke for Natalie and Christine, who were not in any state to front the media. And honestly, I don't know how they even sat through the trial, hearing and seeing what we do know Hazel did to Tia in the lead-up to her murder and what he did to her post-mortem. Stephen spoke of how losing Tia shattered their entire lives. Tia Sharp's father said hearing what Hazel did to his daughter shattered his heart. Hazel will be sentenced tomorrow. In my opinion, it would not be enough. He should serve his time, then be hung. The police say Stuart Hazel must be removed from society. Hazel is a violent and dangerous man who poses a significant risk to young girls. Tia's murder was felt all across not only the community, but the entire nation. The day Hazel was sentenced, the Child Exploitation Online Protection Centre released their annual report. They warned that the sheer amount of child abuse images and growth of high-speed internet connections had increased the threat to children, themes that were very prevalent in Tia's murder. In November 2013, leading search engine companies, including Google and Microsoft, gave in to the huge public, media and political pressure, and they agreed to take measures to make it harder to find child abuse images online. Tia Sharp's murder was definitely the driving force in the campaign that ultimately forced this change. 
As for Tia's mother, Natalie, she continues on for her two little boys, the only reason she keeps fighting. Speaking on Hazel, the man she allowed into her daughter's life as a grandfather, allowing her daughter to love him like a grandfather, quote, He doesn't even deserve to be in jail. He doesn't deserve to die. He deserves to suffer. But he'll never suffer, will he? Not like I need him to. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Mayu.